0: Hi, Rob. Hi, John. How are you? Very well. Long time no see. <laughs> Speak. Good, isn't, it? <laughs> isn't it just?
1: Yeah. How was the rest of your day?
0: Uh, good, yeah. Good, thank you. I'm um, I'm back in the uh, in the wilderness. Oh, what was that? There's a beer opening. Oh, I haven't got any <laughs> beers today. Oh, what? I know. Shocking. I know. You've got some f- sparkling water.
1: Yeah. How virtuous of you. <laughs>
0: Welcome to North v South, a podcast that is and isn't about design. Um, this week we promised some illustration talk and we're going to do something a bit different. Um, we've been talking about it the last few days, haven't we? We have
1: indeed. Yeah. yeah. Including uh, today over lunch, which was
0: nice. Yeah, it was very nice. Um, we met in the Teddington Arms, which is my old, my old hood, <clears throat> my old local, actually. Oh, yeah. And very nice it was, too. Very quiet, though. I think everybody, all the denizens of Teddington are in their second home somewhere. Yes.
1: cut <laughs> Desir.
0: Yeah. Oh, somewhere. Gone to take the waters. <laughs> yeah, they still do that, surely. Do, they, do people still go to Baden-Baden? Uh, I'm sure they do. I'd have definitely yeah. been one of those people. I'm such a sick note. <laughs> uh, so, oh, yeah. yeah, something different. Um
1: this week, so we're not having any uh, design news. There have there's, there's been no design news, has there? None at there's all. A design news-free week. Yeah. Uh, design week haven't published any articles on anything. There's been nothing on Dribble. Uh,
0: so we're skipping design news. Well, um, it's all sort of uh, stems from the fact that my wife sent me. Um, she's trying to get producers no- uh like um, credits credits on this show because um, it's obviously a, a huge worldwide phenomena. Um, much like the World Wide Web, which is the story that she sent me, um, which is 25 years in 25 pictures, which is a story in the Telegraph. I haven't actually thought about whether it is 25 years since the Internet existed. I think that's a bit um, bit of a moot point. But uh, that kind of spurred the thing that we're 25 shows in. We are. And uh, what can we do that's 25? Everyone loves a list, don't they? In the, all the internet um, sites that I absolutely detest love a list. <laughs> There's a seven things. North
1: versus South illustration special list. Yes. You so, won't believe number
0: 12. <laughs> <laughs> so we've come up with uh, 25 things that inspired us to become, uh, well, Rob to become an illustrator and me to become a great pretender. Um, <laughs> but no, th- 25 things around illustration throughout our lives yeah. that have uh, inspired us. And we hope that you uh, enjoy our trawl through through the archives, as it were. <laughs> through our
1: archives. Yeah. If this carries on, you know, episode 25 now, you know, there will come a point where we'll need an archivist, a <laughs> North versus South archivist, some there'll, bearded denizen in a dungeon
0: somewhere. Well, there'll be a planet, won't there, with, with a maze on it, with our... Yeah they'll have to be protected from humanity. <laughs> but uh, I don't know what I mean there. I haven't even I haven't even taken a drink today. <clears throat> right.
1: Uh well our list uh is vaguely chronological starting with the, the kind of illustrative influences that is earliest really um and and moving through to the present day there's there's a, a, a quite a large gap in both our um lists kind of around kind of college and young young manhood
0: i think that's we really interesting We you were interested we,
1: in other things
0: yeah i think that's re- that is fascinating isn't it now we've got time to stay at home and not <laughs> go drinking and then yeah. uh, <laughs> then uh, uh yeah then we sort of veered back to being um slightly strange and uh, and slightly obsessive about visual arts that's it
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, so shall I begin? Yeah. And the first thing on the list is is one of mine, which is Jesse Wilcox Smith. Um, and the name didn't actually mean much to me until we started sort of researching this uh, this episode. So Jesse Wilcox Smith was an American illustrator born in 1863, and she illustrated uh, lots of things, the kind of golden age of American illustration. She illustrated little women um, some Tennyson. she illustrated for Harper's and Ladies Home Journal and she did some illustrations for Charles Kingsley's The Water Babies now The Water Babies isn't a book I've ever read but we had a copy when I was a little kid one of those hardback leather effect folio editions Uh, and it was full of these beautiful colour illustrations by uh, after I researched it, Jesse Wilcox Smith and they were, although I never read it, I don't remember um, like my parents ever reading it to me. Um, but the illustrations themselves of this kind of underwater world that these chimney sweep kids kind of got um, drawn to or found their way into were just magical when I was a little kid, and I found them fascinating. So I used to look at the pictures in this book, not read it, and I guess I used to imagine what was going on. But as as illustrations, they've always stayed with me. In particular, one that I found, we've put together a Pinterest board that we'll put on the show notes with examples of all the things on our list. And one of the ones that I've included is this little baby underwater looking into kind of this giant lobster pot. And that's very definitely one of the ones that I remember uh, seeing when I was um, little. I was probably three or four when I was looking at these. Had you heard of Jesse Wilcox Smith?
0: No, but I knew the I knew the um, the book because my little sister had a copy of it, a really old version of it, and I remember. Was there a live action film that was that they when they went into the water, it then became cartoon? Because oh. that might do be you know, rem, reminiscent might, of something else we're going to touch on a bit yeah, later. I but do, yeah, but, I but you um, might be right there. yeah, I just remember that I love the line drawings, um, and it's for me. I I I would just say that's English illustration. Mm. Um, and uh, and how wrong I am, because uh, it turned out after our lunch meeting that I know very little about the history of illustration. Well, like I, know what I, reason- I know what I reason- like, Rob.
1: We're both reasonably ignorant. Aren't
0: we? <laughs> now, you know hundreds of names.
1: Oh, well, yes, I did, yeah. Don't ask me to name them all, though.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I think they're very, um, they're very inspirational for all sorts of artists that came out of that period. Mm. I mean, i guessing she was drawing this, what, Ni- early 1900s. was yeah, that when I the water so babies like 90, was. Well, it was written
1: actually the year of her birth in 1863. But I th- she was she illustrated this version in I don't know 1904 or something. Right,
0: that's the version I know. Yeah, um, yeah, and that that cover with in, th- in the gold foil is that you've put up on um, Pinterest is absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. So that was an early thing that you remember back then, but you didn't it even was. read the book. Yep. Couldn't even bother to read the book. I know. Disgusting. Very small writing for a three year old. <laughs> so my one when I was a kid um was uh was In the Night Kitchen, Morris Sendak. Um he's famous for his um Where the Wild Things Are, which was later made into a Spike Jones, Johns film. Um and uh, but th- in the night kitchen, it was the one I knew. I didn't have in the wa- uh, where the wild things were. I, I, I used to see it at the library and want it. But um,
1: that's really weird. I'm exactly the opposite way around. Yeah. I had where the wild things were, and in the night kitchen was in the school library.
0: <laughs> but I loved the book. I think I talked about it before, but it, it was just um, it's basically uh, he falls out of um, his he, he goes into a, enters a dream world where um, cake. Um, is being prepared for the morning which is a strange thing in itself it's like eating cheese for breakfast (laughs) it's just not not the done thing but um but he, uh, yeah, he falls into a world where a cake's being made, and um, but the world is made out of all sorts of um, kitchen implements, and that just uh, that fascinated me. There's a centre spread in it. If you haven't got it, even if you haven't got kids, but buy the book because it's absolutely brilliant. It's kind of in comic book style, so it's it's separated into uh, into panel work, um, and the the even the typeface in it is beautifully rendered, and yeah, it's just it, it's quality and kids love it even though it's really surreal the story is very strange
1: um, it's funny isn't it? it you know the the images are, are sort of hilarious to a kid i would imagine
0: yeah i mean well kitty's already I mean, my two-year-old is already looking into the city saying there's a train and it's you know it's actually uh, a, a bottle on its side with lights on it um, <laughs> yeah. and and uh, you know so her imagination is being drawn into the background rather than the foreground and we saw a um a biplane flew over um, As I was collecting her today, because um, we get lots of the planes practicing for yep. Farnborough and Bournemouth Air Show over here, so it's fantastic. And uh, yeah, this really low. I don't know what kind of biplane it was. I hadn't seen it before, um, but uh, she said Mickey. That was you know the Mickey plane. So uh, okay. which she makes out of dough eventually in the, in the yeah. book. But yeah, so um, yeah, incredible. But influenced me so much, Morrison. That really, really did.
1: Yeah, me too. Why do all the chefs look like Oliver Hardy?
0: Yeah, I think it's the, yeah, he he was interviewed about lots of things by that. And one of the things, the really horrible thing is the ovens. I mean, he was from Jewish family uh-huh. and and he says that actually, yeah, he was, he was referencing um, the Holocaust with the oven that they try and bake him in. Um, so I don't know what, because they've got like Hitler mustaches, haven't they? Yeah. I don't know what he was trying to say there, but it was obviously something deep with. Some, you know within him that he he wanted to say in art but yeah um but the the book was was banned uh, across a lot of america because it depicts a naked boy i was just thinking a picture I've put on pinterest i was thinking that i'd probably never get published now <laughs> um but yeah so um yeah great book if you've got kids i urge you to buy it it's mm. it's quality um yeah and we've the other one i've talked about a lot and i'm going to put him down here as well um and I think it sort of points to the, the fact that I love worlds that I can lose myself in um, with all my entries here. But uh, Richard Scarry, um, can't go wrong with uh, any of his books, but What Do People Do All Day is the most popular one in our house. Um, and it explains how all sorts of things happen, how towns work, electricity works, trains work, you know, you name it. Yeah. Um, but it's populated by strange little animals and mainly lowly worm. That,
1: that's the only thing I remember from it.
0: <laughs> I really should have another look. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I've only reintroduced it by having a child. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean that's it. That's the great thing about it, isn't it? You get to revisit all these things from your own childhood. Uh so my next item, it's like room one oh one, is um it's a duvet
0: cover that I had when I was a kid. We don't do we don't do duvets. Don't,
1: yeah. It was the classic uh Star Wars duvet cover by based on the poster by the brothers Hildebrandt, um where Luke Skywalker is holding the the shining lightsaber aloft and there's the kind of shadow of Darth Vader in the background. Um, And it was was, uh, replicated almost exactly on the pillowcase. So I used to go to sleep, kind of, and I used to press my face against the pillow until I could see stars. And I used to think about Star Wars and being Luke Skywalker and things. So that was... In some ways, that was the biggest influence in my life because it was the size of my bed.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's
1: I- great. I mean, it's such a beautiful poster. Um, weird. I don't suppose there are many kind of sibling partnerships in art, are there? Like the brothers Hildebrandt. They were twins
0: from America. Really? Mm. How did they meet out? Like, who did what? I mean, I don't know. Did one do the background? Did you did your duvet have that background with the eye and the the flash of his, or was it just the foreground bit? Because no, not, no, oh. no, I had the whole thing on. Right, yeah, because I had the. Um I, my dad bought the double album, the LP and that in, in it had a poster that folded out. And I think it was, it was either just the Star Wars logo, you know, the, the yellow bit yeah, or it had Darth Vader on it. I, I haven't even looked that up, but I should find that. Um, but that was, that was on my wall. Um, and I would listen to the, um, I'd been given a, a a record player by one of my dad's friends and, um. And, you know, one of my few records was the Star Wars music. So I used to just listen to that on repeat. It was really strange. Um, and I used to make these worlds um, out of a duvet. I didn't have a duvet cover with prints on it. But yeah. I, used to, I used to throw the duvet in the air. And then wherever it landed, the little holes, all my little bear things used to like live in cave. it. Yeah. yeah. And then we'd fly around the universe. Adventure. It's amazing what you could do as a kid, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Strange. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I've got to remember, I'm not speaking to my psychiatrist.
1: <laughs> it is a bit like that. <laughs> uh, um, right, so the next one on my list kind of does reference that um, Water Babies film that may or may not exist that we just talked about, which is the Phantom Tollbooth film um, by Chuck Jones, which is a, starts off as a live-action kids' film about a little boy called Milo who lives in San Francisco. And I don't know if he's off school one day. I might just be reading that into it because the the first time I ever saw it, I was definitely pulling in a sickie from school and laid on the sofa at home watching it. And uh, he gets a delivery, this big parcel, and he opens it and it's a toll booth, this kind of brightly coloured, stripy, kind of barber's pole toll booth thing. And he goes through it and he's in um, another world and the other world is all cartoon animated um and it's bonkers um there's lots of different places in there i think like um i don't know i can't remember the names of them Uh, like dictionaryville and ignorance town and it's quite i think there's there's a an effort to be sort of educational and moral um about things
0: but really it's just this kind of bonkers psychedelic crazy story <laughs> well it, it's, it
1: was, so fu- it it's so it's so fascinating
0: it's so funny because when you told me um about it that was one of the films that i kind of look back on in my in memory as did that really exist because i yeah. remembered exactly the same thing and remember i remember it being like jonathan swift uh, gulliver's travels is, yeah. is how i remember it you know the kind of allegorical worlds that he goes into that teaches yeah, him to be exactly. a good boy by the end of the film i guess yeah i, I yeah. can't remember what the premise of the no, of him I think being sent through. Right. yeah um and often that's used isn't it but the drawings are great um but i think even the live action art direction in it is, is just mad absolutely yeah. mad there's lots of barber's poles that are <laughs> twirling around and is yeah. that right
1: yeah yeah that's yeah, yeah i certainly remember that <laughs> <laughs> but bonkers but yeah, yeah. I, I was telling you at lunchtime like you i'd didn't know if it ex- existed because I'd seen it so many years before, and then I saw it again when I was in a bar in Soho, and they were for some reason it was on the telly, um, which was quite a surreal moment. Yeah, yeah, but I'd love to see that again. I'm sure it wouldn't stand up to the test of time. But...
0: I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to find it, seek mm. it out, seek it out. Yeah. um What was my next thing? I can't remember. What? I've I've lost my thread. Hang on.
1: Uh, I, well, I've got Ralph Bakshi.
0: One of the other defining um, films in my life, other than S- Star Wars, was Lord of the Rings. The Ralph Bakshi, mm. where well, I was saying Baskey, wasn't I earlier? Um, but Bakshi film, which is a kind of um, again live action cartoon but the live action is what was called rotoscoping which was painstakingly drawing over film footage um and it looks fantastic and it's kind of like a scanner darkly uh reverse process isn't it where rather than computerizing the film footage the film footage is being hand drawn over um but sadly the film only goes about a third of the way through the film and he never made um never never made the rest of it but in that um the artwork of that and there's another film that he made at the same uh, I think a little bit before which is called Wizards Um, I just I just found that hugely um, inspirational as a kid I absolutely loved it Um, do you remember did you see Lord of the Rings at the cinema when you were a kid Um, I don't think I did I think I first saw it um, at school
1: right Um, yeah and but this uh, but this was before I'd read it but probably before I was even really aware of it I think I was quite late into fantasy fiction. Um, so it was completely bewildering to me because I didn't have a clue what the story was or anything. But, yeah, visually, absolutely stunning. I mean, super dark. Really, you know, sort of gritty looking, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it gets a much better feel for the book than the yeah. film ever did. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, the the I just remember watching The Hobbit bit of... Um, of peter jackson's lord of the rings and it's just tripe um but uh uh yeah and the first the first film's quite good in that but yeah i, I just I, I wish he'd made the rest of the, the rest of those films because it yeah. really is very dark for a, for a kid's style <laughs> film there's some horrors in there yeah i um, wonder if that's why did, the rest of them didn't get made yeah well he was renowned for i think he did fritz the cat didn't he, he made that film oh, did he? yeah um that was his uh, an adult film about a cat who mm. is just a dirty old man, really. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then he made Wizards, which is kind of a children's film, but really, really on the edge um, about two rival wizards. I think they might be brothers. Um, again, if you haven't seen it, really, really urge you to watch that film because it's, it's hugely inspirational for loads and loads of different comics and cartoons. Um, it's kind of like a, like a mash-up between g-force and lord of the rings <laughs> well that's definitely worth watching yeah with groucho marks as the lead <laughs> um but that the, the the lord of the rings takes me to one that i've actually uh haven't listed on on here which is um uh i'm gonna forget her name now pauline baines yes i don't know what i've done with that one yeah. So um, she was uh, an illustrator, and I got into her through um, before I read Lord of the Rings was um, C.S. Lewis stuff. The first book I read was Silver Chair, and there's a character in that called Puddleglum, who kind of sums up my character really—a bit pessimistic and a bit uh, reluctant to do anything at all. But um, gets forced by the kids to uh, to go and do go and be a hero. Um, but yeah, her, her illustrations are absolutely magical.
1: Yeah. So next on our list. Um, it's kind of one from you and one from me. We've got Roger Dean and um,
0: Rodney Matthews, two names from fantasy art to conjure with. Do you want to lead off with Roger Dean? Yeah, well, my dad was a massive Yes fan, which was a bad thing in the household. <laughs> you know, <laughs> half an hour of uh, drum solos. Yeah. Um, but I loved the albums. I used to just you know the the especially the you know the yeah. gatefold sleeves. Um, I used to just lose myself in the worlds that he created. And uh, I think they were really strange, weren't they? They were very common to the 70s, weren't they? Creating these sort of other world places. I don't know whether that's um, because the planet that they were on at the time wasn't very good. Well, I think there was
1: a certain bit about the kind of whole Earth um, movement. wasn't an ecological movement. That kind of early and mid-60s towards the 70s was... Was huge. I'm sure that must have had some influence into it.
0: Yeah, we well, we love creating worlds, don't we? And I think mm. I think that comes out in a lot of the illustrators um, that we've chosen are 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 fantasy, or, or if they're not fantasy, then they're alternative uh, alternative worlds, yeah, um, or or world creators. Um, but especially um, Roger Dean, I think he's a bit serious and a bit. Glum sometimes, um, whereas you've put on there Rodney Matthews. Um, I've yeah. never seen his work before, and um, there's one called A Time for Revenge that you've put onto Pinterest, which is kind yeah. of uh, someone legging it up some stairs past a load of orcs or yeah. something, monsters of some sort, um, and it's just brilliant. And you can see uh, where he, Ru- Russ Nicholson got his yeah, style from. You'd love this. I have never seen him before,
1: but he was. I think he was kind of a contemporary of Roger Dean. He certainly did a lot of prog rock, and you know. Seventies, uh, 60s and 70s album covers. He did Thin Lizzy and Eamon Duel and Nazareth. Um, did stuff for Rick Wakeman and Hawkwind. Um, but a lot of his fantasy stuff, um, books and illustrations were, book covers and illustrations were for Michael Moorcock books.
0: Ah, right, okay. Um,
1: yeah, so I think that's kind of where he sort of became famous for book illustrations. But I, you know, you discovered roger dean through music and i discovered rodney matthews through kind of his book covers and things um and then later discovered he'd done all the, the stuff for music uh, but he's still going he's still working I don't know if roger dean is is roger dean still around i think
0: so yeah yeah, yeah. Hmm. i don't know what he does i think he probably just still does yes album covers doesn't he <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're <Yes>. still
0: going <laughs> probably Next on the list another one of yours. Oh or yeah, 70s music. Yeah, 70s music, but going back to psychedelia. Um this was another album that my dad had, which is The Point by Harry Nilsson. And uh most people know Harry Nilsson from um Midnight Cowboy uh and um also Can't Live Living Without You, is that what it was called? Yeah. Uh Without Without You, which is uh was was destroyed by mariah carey um but uh, i'm a big fan of harry Nilsson. um there's a really good film about him uh called something like what's up with Harry Nilsson or what's up with Harry really worth watching documentary on his life. But he produced an album kind of early seventies called the point. And it's a red, uh, a spoken word story with music in between it. And it's got one of his big hits, which is called me and my arrow and um, arrow is the dog in the story, but uh-huh. the drawings in it are just bonkers um, really, really sort of yellow submarine style. Um, and I guess it was around that same time, and I think he might have been doing a few drugs uh, while few. this was being made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the know. comic, I, I, I kind of looked this up, the comic was based on, there was an animated film
1: that went with the the
0: record. Yeah, it was a TV a, show.
1: Yeah, and the comic was, was basically a storyboard of the film,
0: wasn't it? Oh, ah, right, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. By Gary Lund. Oh,
0: right. I, I, yeah, I didn't know who the artist was either. Is he well known for anything else? Or I don't know. Yeah anybody got any stuff on Gary Lund then send it <laughs> Gary in. Lund are you out there <laughs> but it is bonkers I mean really bonkers yeah it certainly looks it is very Yellowstone marini, isn't it yeah um, but I loved that I loved going you know that's why LPs were so good for you know if you loved art and drawing because they were yeah. always filled with these amazing little comic books or fold out things like the ELO one we were talking about it had a spaceship in it and mm. Sergeant Pepper's had a uh, cut out moustaches didn't it inside it it did um yeah so um yeah love that one um and that's and that is that sort of all, all that's sort of my early childhood kind of finished really it was all sort of things that my dad had around the house that I would sort of fixate on yeah I think sort of my next view are kind of when I was either comics
1: or when I was kind of getting into art at school um the next one on our list actually is is uh Tintin's Rocket.
0: Yeah, so Tintin's a bit later because obviously you had to read, you know, your parents couldn't read Tintin to you or Asterix. Um, But I always preferred the drawings in Tintin. And like you said, the stories are drier um, and sometimes very dark They and are. there's a lot of violence in them a lot um, of violence people get l- killed a lot of drunkenness yeah if you if you're a captain haddock fan Yeah. Um, but the this the the spacecraft or the spaceship in um or the rocket really uh in uh, destination moon and there's a uh, what's the explorers on the moon is it yeah. the second one yeah. um uh i just loved and they're probably the first books that i read that had a lot of sequential art in them in terms of more than a comic like the bino um, yeah, and it no, it's ma- actually it's explorers on the moon that I've got right, and it made me feel like a gro like I was a bit grown up, you know, because I could sit for a, an hour or two hours uh, and and read a, a full story, and that's why I love Tintin, and they yeah. were you know, um you felt like you were in the real world because everything in it was studiously drawn, um and I knew that even as a kid, you know, yeah. the, the, the things were accurate, um so he felt real, whereas asterix and obliques, I knew it was just for the jokes and the gags and yeah. Um, but they were the only two. We were talking about this at lunch. They were the only two real sort of graphic novels, if you, I don't know, or sort of book-length comics that you could get when I was a kid in in, yeah. in the UK. I, I yeah. don't remember any any others.
1: No, um, I guess that's because that's you know that whole thing came from the kind of French and Belgian uh, comic tradition, didn't it?
0: Yeah, which again, I just I still haven't explored, and I you know I yeah. know there's an entire amazing wealth of. Uh, foreign comics that you know they've been used as uh, adult uh, entertainment for decades, whereas we're only really just scratching the uh, the tip of the iceberg. To mix we a are. metaphor, <laughs> <laughs>
1: we are. But that rocket <laughs> is uh, is a, an absolute classic. I've got a little model of it here. You've got a model of it as well, haven't you?
0: Yeah, I've got. Um, yeah, um, my- mine's quite small. Is yours? Is yours bigger? Yeah, it's a big one. And mine's only little yeah no it's it's nice. got, a, it's, it's, got a, it's got a rubbery end as well Mine. oh no mine's got mine's got a metal end um, again the uh, uh sister and brother- in law bought that for me they're very generous they are aren't they um so i'm just writing down scratching the tip of the iceberg i think that might be the title <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, i'm that's... i'm 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 noting it down um, so uh on my new um field notes reporter's uh, notebook how are you finding that i, I like it uh thank you for my presence today. It's a pleasure. My daughter loved the stickers. She looked great with a little <laughs> orange school sticker on. Yeah. I was gonna take you a photo of her eating later but it was too disgusting. But she had an orange bib and she was eating orange jelly. <laughs> <laughs> Very on brand. Yeah. <clears throat> um but yeah, I think that we're coming you know, after that I I kind of lost sight of I mean apart from uh two thousand AD, I started losing sight of, you know. Drawings and things like that. I started getting into other things. I guess sport and all sorts yeah. of things like that. What's what's next on your? I mean, I guess two thousand AD is that the next thing? Or
1: <clears throat> yeah, well, are we skipping Jimmy Corty's Lord of the Rings poster?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think we'll come back to that because that's more later on, isn't it? It's okay. only I only discovered that. Well, we can talk about it now. Basically. There was a, a really popular Lord of the Rings. I should have put that in with the Lord of the Ring stuff. But there, there was a really popular Lord of the Rings poster that you could get from... Do you remember Athena? Athena posters? Oh, yes. They were like shops in um, every high street in uh, the UK. And you could buy all sorts of classic posters, like uh, the photograph of the lady scratching her bottom yeah. playing and tennis. The one with the hunk cradling the newborn baby. Yes. And um, there was an electric kiss one, two women kissing. Ooh. I had that. Did I had that you? printed onto a board. Um and my mum didn't like that one very much at all. I thought you were gonna tell me you'd had it laminated, which would have been more <laughs> Easy. Um yeah, and and he uh anyway, this poster was a popular poster. Um again it's on our Pinterest board if you want to see it. But the the artist who did it was Jimmy Courty, um, who was the other half of um one of that one half of the KLF, who were a popular beats combo in the <laughs> <laughs> in the late eighties, early nineties, yeah, yeah, that's all so, I have to say about it. it just, I just sort of think it's an amazing coincidence. He's bonkers, isn't it? He was the chap who burnt a million quid, yeah, on a Scottish island somewhere.
1: Yeah, maybe he'd made that million pounds just from a reprints of that poster in Athena.
0: <laughs> have you read Forty Five by Bill Drummond? I haven't. All uh, right, that might have to be one of our book of the months because that is absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, if you okay. like a bit of art terrorism, sounds good. You know, it is. I've just said terrorism, so we're now being tracked by uh, all sorts of security departments. Yeah, echelon, <laughs> echelon are tracking us. <laughs> um, Can't get a signal here, so we'll yeah. <laughs> they'll just get your your side of the conversation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they won't know what's going on. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so you mentioned 2000 AD. So that was really 2000 AD was the, the the most influential kind of artistic thing in my world. I think for a good number of years. Um, I read it from Prog 305 to 777.
0: Um, <laughs> How did you know that?
1: I don't know. I can just remember. Wow. Uh, 305 had on the cover, I can't remember who drew it, um, but it had like, this big monster from another dimension that was a, a um, bounty hunter that had appeared in Mega City 1. Okay. Yeah, but um, my favourite artist from two thousand and eight was Carlos Esquera um, and particularly um, his Strontium Dog stuff so he did Judge Dredd he actually created Judge Dredd with John Wagner but John Wagner didn't like his his depiction of Judge Dredd so it was actually uh, Mike McMahon that went on to create the first published version of Judge Dredd um, but Strontium Dog about a mutant Bounty Hunter in the future was just it was just brilliant it was brilliantly written um, again by John Wagner I think um, and beautifully drawn by Carlos and his style was really it was different to anything else in 2000 AD. I think he had this habit of doing these weird little outlines to things that kind of almost like a dashed outline to stuff that kind of made it stand out and I think I have inherited a bit of that from loving his art. Um, there was particularly one story that he illustrated, which was um, the Max Bubba storyline. I don't know if you were still reading it then, were you? I don't
0: think Max, so.
1: Max Bubba, a criminal in his gang, killed Wolf Sternhammer, Johnny Alpha's sidekick, and left Johnny for dead. And um, And Johnny goes after them all and kills them all one by one it's brilliant uh, but yeah he was massive an influence I used to copy his stuff uh, and copy his not just draw the stuff that he'd draw but he used to absolutely copy his style Um but, you know, he's still going still going strong
0: yeah I love I love his Strontium Dog I think I didn't know who, who the artist was when I used to draw Strontium Dog on everything I had yeah um, I, I did love Strontium Dog yeah definitely one of my favourites yeah, I love 2000 AD because it was it didn't really have superheroes. It just had really hard, yeah. um, hard nuts, didn't it? Yeah, Who it didn't did. take any rogue trooper, strontium dog, Judge Dredd. Yeah, and then Judge Death. We get onto mm. him. So uh, I was looking back because again I wasn't aware of all the different artists. So um, I was trying to picture the Judge Dredd that I really like because he's had so many artists, and especially since I stopped reading him back in the you know mid-80s yeah. uh, but um brian bolland is my uh, who i see dread as um especially i loved the anderson judge death uh, comic books yeah. uh, the stories and that's the vision that i remember you know the really really graphical static almost um iconic drawings and that's kind of what i when i was drawing a lot at that time that's the kind of art that i did you know that kind of really it's very solid isn't it it's not impressionistic at all it's not it's not got that um yeah beautifully drawn i mean really beautifully drawn, heavily rendered yeah yeah but what an artist he is yeah Um, fantastic i was reading interesting things about him you know that he was so slow at producing panels that that's why he became a cover's artist and this is something that we were talking about at lunchtime um that we should touch on now is the fact that um it seems to be a real segregation of specialist illustrators so you know you get your fantasy artists but they very rarely produce comic book art um, and comic book artists very rarely produce static images you know what i mean but brian Mm -hmm. bolland it kind of bridges both because he did so many covers i think because he was so slow (laughs) he ended up doing just you know cover cover quality art but you don't you don't tend to get in between do you i don't think so no everyone's got their little niche yeah i guess the stick with the person that's employing you yeah yeah (laughs) i mean back in the day when you couldn't you know promote yourself through the internet um, quite freely as some, you know, a lot of young artists and and, and even mature artists now do. Um, there was no other opportunity, was there, other than getting in with a magazine that published comics. So, you know, um, IPC or whoever it was. Yeah. You had to get in with them if you wanted your comics to be seen by everybody in the world. And now anybody can do it. I can. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where my kind of interest in in illustration ends for a long time. Um, what about you?
1: Well, I guess mine carries on, but probably I veer off into art a lot because I went to art college and doing art history and things. So, you know, I kind of got into Hiroshige and um, uh, Caravaggio and, you know, the kind of lots of art stuff rather than illustrators. I think in some ways there was, there was so much more books on art than there were on illustration. Um, but one illustrator that I, don't, I have no idea how I found his work, uh, but he's an English guy called Michael English uh, who died a few years ago. But he was a poster designer um, and he kind of hit the big time in the mid-60s and he was doing stuff on the King's Road, so he was doing murals on shop fronts and kind of psychedelic posters. Uh, he was a contributor to Oz magazine. And then in the 70s, he moved on to doing hyper-realistic paintings and using an airbrush. Um, But there's one particular painting of his, um, which I think was done about 1980, um, which, again, is one of those images that's just always stuck with me. And I was telling you at lunchtime that it, it was a weird kind of triumvirate of things. There was this illustration by Michael English, I was reading a book called Mythago Wood by Robert Holdstock, which is all about woodlands and myths and folklory stuff. Uh, and I was listening a lot to Tangerine Dream. I was 16 or 17, so that's why. Um, but all those three things kind of really came together. And I think it made the memory of this illustration much more vivid. So he painted it in the late 70s and into the 80s he painted this series of paintings called The Nature Series. And a lot of it was kind of ferns and moss and uh, running water. And this one painting called Mouth Mill, and it's water pouring over like a mossy rock with ferns in the corner. And it's just, it's a remarkable painting, hyper real, all the reflections of the trees on this kind of smooth cataract of water. Um, and it just blew me away as a as a teenager. Um, and in, I've got one of his books, and in it he says, of mouth milk,
0: it's the culmination of all my nature paintings, it has no equal. Um, and I agree with him. Yeah, I've never seen that before, and it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, hyper-real vo- uh, art can be very strange at times, yeah. isn't it? Um, but here we're, I know he was an illustrator, and we talked about, art and illustration and how there's a very fuzzy line between them mm. uh, that you see as a much harder line than i do i'm i'm sort of 6b and you're a 2h <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> uh, along it but yeah. um this is um this is art to me that, that's, it is that's, that's, that, but it's absolutely beautiful um yeah it's really mystical isn't it it is and it's got so much movement in it yeah, it's anyway, incredible. We're talking about visuals on a on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we are going look at it. It's on the uh, Rob's put it on the Pinterest page that we've created. Yep. Um, yeah, no. Thanks for introducing that. I love it. Love it. Um, yeah. Well, while that was going on, uh, and you were listening to Tangerine Dream like a square, <laughs> I'm never going to lift that down. <laughs> I was being cool and playing with my Amiga five hundred. Um <laughs> that's not cool, is it? But there was a there was a producer of games called the Bitmap Bitmap Brothers and they were kind of one of the first um uh pre- publishers who introduced um pop music, sort of a rock mentality to computer games. Um and they actually you know, their um their iconic their sort of breakout game which was called Xenon Two uh, had a soundtrack to it by Bomb the Bass, was oh, it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was I think. Um and they are the artist who produced the art for their for their games subsequently. Um I didn't know who he was. I've looked him up. He's called Dan Malone. He's still producing um lovely dithered artwork. Mm. Uh, and it, he produced some of the most iconic computer game artwork from my generation of sort of the mid uh the mid 80s to the to the to the early 90s um so his games were Speedball 2 which is still one of my favorite games ever um God's Chaos Engine uh so the, yeah basically the sort of the gamut of the Bitmap Brothers that, sort of God's cover is amazing i thought it was just Simon bisley um, well it might that might that cover might be he did the uh, interior oh, the, the oh, okay. actual computer generated art yeah. um is that is that a bisley painting I don't know, it might be. Alright. The that game was the game was brilliant. You played yeah. a um you were well, you were basically a Greek god and it was very, very hard edged graphics. It was very flat. Yeah. Um It's great. Loved yeah. It. Really really British. There's a there's a poster available at the moment, um, that is a screen print onto grey I think it's Vedragoni, and it's uh of one of the Speedball Two players. So if you were in if you were of, my age and a male you probably played speedball 2 at university <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> throughout the night and um uh yeah so if you know the call cool of the ice cream and the ambulance coming on then uh <laughs> you want to get over to um readonlymemory.vg yeah. um because they are selling that poster and actually weirdly and coincidentally they're producing a book about it about the bitmap brothers and um it's only just come out like last month so um oh, okay yes an opportune moment mm. to purchase a in, poster.
1: In my Facebook feed today was a, an article about all the Amiga games are coming to the iPhone. Really? Yeah. Which <laughs> is weird because we mentioned that at lunchtime.
0: Yeah, I, I'm of the I'm of the feeling that you know, there of the moment, and um, the games won't feel genuine anymore unless you actually plugged in an Amiga. Because I have tried the emulators, yeah, it just doesn't a, feel
1: the same with a with a Speed King joystick. Speed King joystick, a conic
0: Speed King. Yeah. That was for kickoff. Yeah, on decathlon. (laughs) Broke many of those. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so that's what I was doing, doing that and going to see bands. I Mm. I, I, I wasn't into um, art. But when I slowly got back into art, one of my heroes, um, I actually wrote my dissertation on was Len Dayton, and I've spoken about him before, but he produced a load of strip il- illustrations uh, in the 1960s um, that went into the evening standard. Um, you can buy them again now, um, and uh, they are basically like comic strips, but how to cook. Um, and he produced those uh, before he wrote um, the Upcrest file. Um, and, yeah, they're great. So, That's
1: such a different string to his bow, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. He he really is. I could mon- only
1: find you know, a few pictures of his, so, um,
0: but I found one of a Ban marie <laughs> Yeah, the I other one's think. really weird that you found abroad in London. It's very yeah. strange. It looks like it's drawn when he was a kid or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, that, that was, he was one of my, he is still one of my heroes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and then after that, so then yeah, we're talking about bands. A band cover that got me back into art a little bit um, when the um, was Julian Opie, who produces these line silhouettes that are copied by a lot of um, people online. Uh, I think there are there might be apps that kind of do it to photographs. Oh, I'm sure um, there are. But there's something about his art that if you try and do them, they're sort of they're really heavy outlines. If you remember the Blur um, Part Life album, or is it the Best of?
1: Uh, the best, it's, the of best, it's the
0: best of album, yeah. I think. Um, they, uh, there's like a grid of four of them. They're really hard to do, really, really hard to get them right. Um, uh, Maybe we should try that for the next episode. Yeah. We we'll do I, a self-portrait. Do you know what the, big, the biggest problem is? Is choosing the right lens, the focal length on the lens. Uh, going back to that gif that you talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, because it, uh, I used to do it um, when, we were, when we were doing... Um, like prints as when soda first started, we were doing like custom prints for people. And we offered this as one of our styles. Um, and often the, the photos that were sent in would just, um, the person would send them in and then we'd do the art and they'd say, that looks nothing like me because we kind of trace them. Um, mm. and therefore you don't get that, you know, if they were taken on really bad cameras back in the day, um, they just didn't look right, even in the photo. So you're yeah. like, well, we're on a hiding to nothing. So we had to create a sort of set of instructions of how to take them at a certain distance, et cetera, et cetera. And then we started getting them right. Um, but yeah, I mean, blatantly ripped off Julian Opie. <laughs> <laughs> but that's when I started getting back into into artworking and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, he's he's enormously, uh, I say, influential. I, I don't have a style, so um, but he was definitely someone that I, I admired greatly. I love his landscapes as well. Um, an interesting artist, very secretive. Is he? I don't is that know. why I haven't heard anything about him? <laughs> you know who he is
1: he? Yeah, yeah. And well, and, and I, I he, you know those, is you know, hob-
0: the- is he a hermit? I know they said he's a hobbit. I don't know. He's just really secretive about his process. But you, okay. the, um, you know that although there is a film that you can see him making them these these shots. But mm. have you you you've seen the animations? Um, I don't know what sure they are. They're like light boxes of women walking. Um, yes, there's one on Carnaby Street. Right, that's him. Yeah. 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 Very They're, cool. They are really cool. Yeah. Um, he's reduced them down to nothing, hasn't he? Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. No. yeah.
1: Which is uh, quite a quite skill.
0: Yeah, it really is hard. you try and do it. We'll do. We'll do. We'll do one for next week.
1: Yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> um, so next on my list uh, is Winnie the Pooh. Now, although I had Winnie the Pooh books when I was a kid. I don't really think I appreciate the art in them at all. Um, and it wasn't really until I got into illustration when I was at college um, that I kind of appreciated how beautiful they were and how amazingly well-drawn they were, you know, and how how kind of strong the characterization was without, you know, masses of line work or... You know, they're very a little bit like Julian Arpe. You know, they're very sort of simply drawn, but just with you know, masses and masses of character and packed into those few lines. Um and they're all by E. H. Shepherd, um, who I think he's most famous for his uh, his Winnie the Pooh stuff, but he he illustrated lots of books. He was actually a war hero. Um got um, military medals at Passchendaele in the First World War. Um, and eventually he grew to resent Winnie the Pooh, and he said that silly old bear and felt that the illustrations overshadowed all, of, all the rest of his work. Which is, I don't know, it's a bit sad, isn't it? That, you know, he's loved for for all that work and the joy he's brought to kids. Um, and he sort of resented the fact that that's all he was remembered for. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well I don't know what else he did. Um did he produce loads Just, of illustrations? I think yeah, he 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 did
1: lots of books of that kind of era. Um I guess in the nineteen twenties to nineteen forties and fifties, I guess. Um the first the first one the first Winnie the Pooh one, I think, was nineteen twenty two. And which was pretty much the first thing he did that I could find. So uh yeah, I guess he defined he's as responsible for the um, the love of the books as um, A.A. Milner, I would imagine. You talk about the books, people will remember you talk about Winnie the Pooh, people will remember the illustrations as much as the the stories, won't they?
0: Ah. Next um You're gonna say this in a Spanish accent. <laughs> uh well I don't know I don't know if this has any relevance really, but one of the other thing that got me back into art are two things. Um, and art I know we were trying to shy away from what that was, but I watched late night once at I don't know if I was at university or definitely recently graduated, I don't know what year this the film came out, but it was called um a quince tree sun, um which in Spanish, shall I ruin it for you? Is El Sol del Membrio So Membrio is a quince, yeah? If you had yeah. membrio jam, it's very nice. Um but uh it's uh about it's a kind of documentary, but film study of this chap called um, Antio- Antonio Lopez Garcia, who is uh, <laughs> Garcia, who is a um, an artist based in Madrid, I think. Um, and he is a kind of hyper-realistic painter uh, at times, some of his style is. But it's just him. It's, it's about the artistic process, which is why I included it, because it made me really interested in um, the creative process again, you know, having been just bumming about. Um, but what it does is it it follows him trying to draw a quince on a quince tree. Uh so the fruit. But the fruit is ripening and he's so obsessed with the fact that he's got to draw this thing absolutely spot on that as it ripens it obviously gets heavier. So it reduces. So he's constantly adjusting his position. Uh, Marking the quince, marking around it so that his view of it is never changed, even though nature around him is is changing all the time. But he's also got this obsession with uh, with coffins. So there are all these coffins positioned around his house that he's practising dying in i think if i remember rightly but he's he also gets visited by a succession of different people who chat about him while he's drawing this quince um and it's not about the art that he produces it's about for him it's about the process of trying to capture something that's real onto something that isn't real um and it's just a fascinating film really 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 good film um if you get a chance to see it i'm sure it's on youtube or something like that um but it won a sundance i think so it was it was quite popular yeah uh, so it was reasonably recent-ish, was it? I I can't remember, you know. I saw it on a Channel 4 thingy sometime. Um, I'll have to look up the the show notes. 1992. Okay. So, yeah, that would be about, yeah, mid-90s, late-90s, I was w- I was watching that one. Yeah. Um, but if you haven't seen it, I really recommend it, uh, you know, as a kind of creative process. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll look that up and enjoy some quince jam. Well, at it. Oh, yeah,
1: with a bit of... Uh, uh, Manchego. Oh, nice.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Alfred Wainwright, um, next on the list, British fell walker, guidebook author, illustrator, um, draws the most beautiful mountains in pen and ink. Um, and I was, I've always been aware of his work because growing up up north, and we used to hold in the Lake District and used to see his books around. I'm not sure we ever had any coffee kind in our house, maybe one or two, or his illustrations to maybe been in magazines that I've seen. Um, but he did a, a series of books published between in the 50s and 60s called The Pictorial Guide to the Lakeland Fells. Uh, and they were guidebooks with walks um, and beautifully detailed maps and then just astonishingly beautiful illustrations of the, the Cumbrian fells. Um, and the mountains, uh, just—I mean, so beautifully drawn. <clears throat> and it wasn't really until I got back into drawing, probably only three or four years ago, when I started working at Soda And in the front of one of my moleskins, I drew this landscape, and I kind of realised that it was massively influenced by Wainwright. Um, so I've kind of gone back, and I've—you know—I've looked at more of his work. Um, and he's a master at, at landscapes. I mean, if he was just an artist or, you know, just an illustrator, you know, he'd be famous and, you know, lauded just for that one art. But the fact that he was an author and
0: a wrote guidebooks, <clears throat> just amazing. Um, you should post your drawing on I will. Pinterest. Oh,
1: so. then I'll have to
0: compare it. Well, <laughs> oh, it's winner. not a comparison, is it? It's a source of inspiration. <clears throat> yeah. Um, this chap was obsessive, though, wasn't he? I he mean, was. He, uh, I found a even quote. his house, even his handwriting is cool.
1: Yes. Oh, he's sort of annotated maps. It's he, just stunning. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, but he, I uh, found this quote. He described himself as as once having been shy, but having grown up to be antisocial.
0: <laughs> Which I thought was great. <laughs> that is good. That's me. That's me to a T. <laughs> <laughs> Nonsense. Um, and then from that something completely different really which
1: is the work of Ian McHugh which we talked about before and I've written blog posts on how much I love Ian McHugh's work and I know you love his stuff Um, so Ian McHugh um, started off as a a games artist for Rockstar North which is where Grand Theft Auto was created Um, and now he does concept work for Games and films, Uh, books, book covers, comic covers. Um, I'm not entirely sure what he's working on at the minute. But I kind of fell in love with this stuff when I discovered his robots. And he does these amazing, kind of really gritty, mechanical-looking robots. Um, But they all seem to kind of inhabit the same world. So they've got this style about them. And they have real substance, even the ones that he just sketches with pen they have real form and volume um, and he also draws these amazing ships right, that cross between a spaceship and a like trawlers <clears throat> um, like flying boats and the the combination of all these things is just sort of mesmerizing the way he's when we're talking about world building, but he's built this world, and I don't think with any I don't think he's created any narrative to go with it or any, you know, backstory. Maybe, you know, in the back of his head he has, but there's certainly nothing out there. Um, but it's just this incredibly vivid, detailed world of, you know, robot dudes and space guys with cigarettes hanging out the corners of their mouths and uh, kind of space dockyard workers, you know, sitting on the corner of a half-finished junkie, spaceship eating their lunch and you know with big great numbers painted on the side of the spaceships and just you know there's no one out there really that's created
0: a world that i want to know more about um i I think that his art is um captures the essence of you just stumbling in on something that's real and frozen in time but something else yeah. is happening and you have no business being there and i think that's, yeah. you know everything is alive in it um, the people are alive they're talking to each other and um, you're not just looking at a static kind of poster image mm. you, it's almost like the camera's just frozen in time as it's as it's zoomed through um, and everything has weight and depth and yeah. uh, the light looks right and just um i just think he's uh i think he's the, the greatest illustrator that i've seen you know i don't know I you know living i think at the moment i really yeah. do i think he's um he's something special um yeah absolutely just, just his line drawings the one that you've put up of woodland i just yeah. think it's just absolutely oh i nearly swore then it's just astonishing so yeah. yeah i think it's good that we uh that he definitely is a welcome addition to you know sort of the people that i admire yeah um and uh the, the other one, can I go on to, yeah, um, go uh, so I, I want to mention a chap called Dan Berry um, because he's a guy who got me into podcasts uh, and comic books uh, all over again. I hadn't read a comic book for ages and ages, and I was sort of starting to listen to lots of podcasts and I came across his, um, and it, he's just so dedicated to uh, uh, sort of um, highlighting the comic book artists uh, process um the world they inhabit all the stories they're trying to tell. He writes brilliant comics himself. Um, and if you haven't listened to the podcast, it's well worth listening to. Um, I haven't listened to it for a little while, actually, but um, he, uh, he yeah, and he's he's a great style. He's sort of um, Quentin Blake, I would say, very loose, very uh, loose, of com- completely different to Ian McQuay. Uh, yeah. But he's really good at getting emotions across um, and he does animations and all sorts of things. He's hugely prolific. I think he's a professor uh, or at least teaches um, tertiary uh, graphic novel gra- graphic making or whatever you yeah. call it um, up in Shrewsbury somewhere I think I might yep. be wrong there but um, yeah he's he definitely um, yeah, really really talented chap and um, doing great things for the industry um, uh, and he kind of bridges design and illustration um, so you know at least I have some kind of um, touch <laughs> on there <laughs> uh, yeah. no really uh, really lovely stuff what's this podcast called again Make it, then tell everyone.
1: Yeah, which is a good bit of advice, really.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just stop get stop stuff talking, out there. Stop talking about it. Yeah. Uh, and last on my list, <coughs>
1: uh, I have Kim Jung Ji. Not sure if I've pronounced that correctly. Kim Jung Ji, Kim Jung Ji, uh, who's a, a Korean artist, South Korean, um, and. I think he sold his soul to the devil in exchange for his talents, because um he he does things that I can't quite comprehend. We've talked about him before, but if you the best way to kind of view his mastery of the art is to go onto YouTube and just type in Kim Jong Ji and watch one of his videos of him drawing because he draws without any reference. Without any underdrawing, and he just draws with pen and brush pens, um, usually standing up at a, you know, vertical big sheet of paper. And he creates these astonishingly detailed illustrations. Um, there's, I think the first one I saw of his was kind of like a zombie attack um, and soldiers fighting off these zombies. But the way he draws, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to a lot of it it's, it's as if he's got the entire image perfectly in his head and he just fills in bits where he kind of wants so he'll draw like a bit of foreground and then he'll go to a completely different part of the, the sheet of paper and he'll draw something in the background and then he'll go somewhere else and then it all pieces together like a jigsaw uh, and you see kind of why he's done certain bits in a certain way and but he also draws everything in kind of perfect perspective, or quite often with sort of a fisheye lens style perspective to it. Um, so objects kind of, you know, already kind of bulge towards you and, and curve away in the distance. Um, and it's all perfectly drawn without any reference. And he uh, he just says that he he's always observing things. I think he was in the army in South Korea for a while. And he used to just look at all the machinery and uh, motorbikes and tanks and Jeeps and and just used to observe it. And he, I don't know if he's got some kind of photographic memory, but how he recreates those things that he's seen. <clears throat> so, amazingly, he's just he's out of this world. And he uses a dip pen, right? Well, he uses, um, not dip pens, brush pens. So, kind of like uh, I use a Pentel pocket brush or a Kuretake number eight brush pen it's my current favourite and he uses brush pens uh, I think they started off as being used for Japanese calligraphy and they've developed into just kind of an art pen so they have a a proper nylon brush like a paintbrush but uh, then they have a cartridge like an ink pen Uh, and he uses those a lot and he does stuff in ballpoint pen and
0: you know what have you but
1: just mind boggling the videos are something else aren't they
0: yeah. The 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 uh, the, t- the the only the last thing is we've skipped over is the only um one on the list that we both wrote down the same thing for. Oh yes, which is a rotating isograph pen. Yeah. Um I my dad gave me one. Uh, it was a yellow one. Um I don't, I'm looking at the 0.25. Point, point 0.2. It says uh, uh, well, maybe I don't know. But um I had the, he get he get, he nabbed one off um a designer blokey that he was doing brochures with and um and gave it to me and it, it, that transform you know i just love doing the tight black black and white drawings with yeah with that pen um and you say there's a new type of pen out that's <coughs> similar to that without yeah, i think it's like a disposable and, i don't know if it's
1: i'm just looking at mine now i don't think you can refill them um it's called no they're definitely disposable they're rotoring ticky graphics and they come in a range of nib sizes and they look just like the Rotaring Isographs, really. Um, But they have fantastic ink flow to them, so they're really good for, you know, the thicker, particularly the thicker ones I use, a 0.7 and a 0.5. Yeah, really good, smooth, thick, inky black lines. Really nice. And they come in little blister packs of three, so I don't think they're that expensive, whereas the Isographs and Repeatergraphs are about 25 quid each still, (coughs) which is just bonkers, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we've, um, I think we've come to the end of our list, haven't we? That was 25. If Someone's going to
1: count. Someone's going to count on there? Yeah. Say, I think there's some 24.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, if you've, if you're still awake now, <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, we said it's the perfect, perfect way to go to sleep. Um, just yes. listen to our podcast. Um, but yeah, that's 25 things, sort of a trawl through our, our memory banks, um, things that sort of, uh, have influenced us as kids um not necessarily influenced me but just you know that i was fascinated with and we hope you enjoyed some of them
1: yeah absolutely <laughs> we'll do it again um at the end of the year we'll do 50, 50 best things in a three-hour special
0: <laughs> uh, um, yeah well something different wasn't it
1: yeah absolutely
0: um we should move on to pie because i got a parcel in the post rob did you yeah so did i it's from york yes it's was from, there a little? Was there a little note in it? Not that I saw. No, there wasn't in mine either. Ah, but there's a card. Yeah, it was from your mum,
1: Rob. It was my mum, bless her, sent us both um, a pie from the local butchers.
0: Well, uh, I, haven't, I haven't got the card in front of me, so it's Wilson's of York. Wilson's, uh, your quality local family butcher from yeah. from field to fork. Nice, uh, and. um... I say thank you very much, Mrs Turpin. That's incredibly generous of you yeah, um, and me. made me laugh a lot. So uh, thank you for your <laughs> generosity. It's absolutely brilliant um, and very well packaged. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. I was surprised. Uh, go on then. Do you want to dive in first? Yeah.
1: I finished my beer, which is terrible. I was drinking, uh, I was drinking a uh, a Killcat Pale Ale from the Park Brewery in Kingston.
0: And it was That's very right. nice. It was very, very nice. How's the mm. pie yeah it's a it's good it's a pork pie it's a cured there's a cured um quite coarse cut meat inside it mm. very little jelly um, but the pastry is almost like a suet um pastry it's very very thick it's a hand uh, a hot crust pastry yeah um very peppery um, and quite salty um but I imagine that with a pint of um Tim Taylor's is <clears throat> exceptional yeah um I'm going to give it a a seven. Yeah. A good seven. I really like these Popeyes. My dad,
1: uh probably my mum, have them warm if they're fresh from the butchers. I always find them a bit a bit too rich when they're warm. But I think I think this one can, can live up to that. Um but I like them because they've got they're such a chunky meat. I don't like it when it's too finely. Yeah. I'm having it with brown sauce, obviously.
0: Oh you're right. Surely everything must taste of brown sauce. (laughs) (laughs) Because all your pies have got brown sauce on them. I think you need to go
1: for the purity. That's not true, John. I have gone with a spicy pear, uh, a spicy tomato relish,
0: pickle lily last week. Yeah, that's true. I take it all back. Come on. Credit where credit's due. I haven't put sauces on any of mine, I don't think. No. I just go for the purity of the pie. But yeah, that's a good pie. The, I the pastry is cracking. Mmm. That gets a seven from me as well. Mmm. Not bad. No, not bad at all. Well, thank you very, very much, Mrs. Turpin. Mmm.
1: It's terrible. I'm going to have to buy my own pie next week.
0: <laughs> I've forgotten what to do. Yeah. I'm going to have to go hunting. I think I've exhausted around here. <laughs> Literally, with a spear. <laughs> For a pie. Yeah. A wild pie. Talking yeah. of wild things. Well, Jessica, um, on her there's a little baby owl in a tree near here. Oh God, I saw the that, picture that's there every night. And she just <coughs> saw it again tonight. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, and it's really low down and massive because yeah, they're, they're quite big, aren't they? Baby owls when they're
1: yeah. So it's yeah. a tawny, isn't
0: it? A tawny owl. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We've called really it, we've called it plop. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> it's nature around here, mate. <laughs> there are uh, dead badgers outside my driveway. <laughs> Uh, what was it like coming to civilization today uh busy uh, lots of cars and um a bit scary no uh, it was really good it was good to be back in the hood yeah and uh, yeah, no, I have enjoyed that. It was sort of very reminiscent. So I imagine it's not very. Uh, I, I hope it's of interest to to you all out there. But it was really interesting for me to go through that process. It was, try, it was really nice to remember nice. what things I could. You know, I'm sure I've forgotten millions of things. But those, those are really the kind of the key inspirational things that, throughout yeah. my life that I still go back to.
1: Yeah, and it, yeah, like you say, it's nice to to revisit them and to to kind of learn a little bit more about them. Definitely definitely yes next week back to normal service will be
0: resumed yeah we'll be back to new just rehashing old news <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh talking utter nonsense yeah so um, we'll
1: uh, we'll have to come up with a topic at some point during this <clears throat> the next few days
0: yes and we also need to come up with a book of the month because that'll be rearing its head um yeah. but yeah we're um We'll see you next week. Yeah, Uh, we'll do. Thanks, thanks for listening. And Rob, uh, have a lovely weekend. You got weddings on this weekend? And you, Uh, wedding on Friday, wedding on Saturday. All right. Well, I'm pushing off to the in-laws tomorrow for another weekend. Yeah. Um, And uh, I'm finishing a website tomorrow, pushing it live, and then legging it. (laughs) Good plan. Quality. (laughs) Good plan. Well, enjoy yourself, John. Have a nice weekend. You too. Take care. We're no good for making Tar in this life.